In Philippians chapter 3, as Paul is uh, dealing with his accomplishments, as he confronts the works righteousness of his age, he gives this whole list of his credentials. And he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them but as rubbish. I love the old King James. It says cow dung. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Brethren, I pray you listened to that song by Mr. Getty. And the common phrase was that we may know the risen Christ. The word know means so much more than just a casual acquaintance. The word know means that I have entered into a relationship with one who has loved me so much that he gave his life for me. And because of the supreme value of that relationship, that I in turn live my life totally driven by my love for that one who loved me first. That's to know the risen Savior. And my prayer is that each one of you would have experienced that surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we come before You, we do recognize how often we get caught up in the things of the world, how often we get distracted by those things that, that appeal to our, our flesh, how often we want to do our thing. And yet, Father, we say we love You. We say we know You. Lord, I pray, oh, I pray that You would build in our hearts, Father, such a flame of zealousness that it would burn so bright, that it would be so obvious that we know the risen Christ, that everyone around us has no doubt. That guy's committed to Jesus. Not that we want to be offensive or uh, that we're out to cause trouble because we're not. But, oh, Father, because of our love for Jesus, we should be so motivated to share the good news with others. We should be so motivated to walk in the light. To walk in such a manner that pleases You. That we will not compromise. That we will not give in to what the world wants. But that we would be so committed to Jesus that our lives would be real. And Father, when we fall and when we stumble, we pray that You would, uh, that, that you would heal us and, and put us back into the battle. 
We pray for fellowship within the body of Christ that, that people would come around and strengthen one another and build up one another and encourage one another and if need be, confront one another because of our love for Jesus and our desire to serve Him. No, Father, we pray that not just for individuals, Father, but for the churches of which we're a part. And we pray specifically for this church as, as they are about to embark on a, on a new aspect of the journey upon which you've taken them. And may it be exciting, dear Father. Oh, challenging, yes. And there will be struggles. But may it be exciting, dear Father, as you place your hand upon this fellowship, this body of believers, and you use this fellowship to impact this coast for Jesus. Father, we pray that within this body that there would be such a mutual ministry to one another that no one would feel left out or neglected whether they're in homebound or whether they're in nursing homes or whether they're in hospital or even whether they're in uh, station thousands of miles away, that they would know that they're part of this fellowship. And they would know that they're praying for one another and they would know that they're reaching out to one another and they would know that they're seeking to visit one another, even if it's through letters or phone calls. But each individual within this body would understand how important they are to the overall ministry of this body. Father, I pray that You would do that. And that Your name would be exalted in this place. And Father, as we pray for our country and as we recognize as churches, not just this one, but as churches, dear Father, throughout this land, have this same commitment, this same fire, this same zealousness. That, dear Father, You would revolutionize our land, that we would once again be a country whose God is the Lord. And that You would turn us from our wicked ways. And that You would heal this land. Oh, Father, we pray for our leaders that they would recognize that they are accountable to You and to You alone. May they heed the story of Nebuchadnezzar who thought he was so great. And oh, how you humbled him. Humble our leaders, O oh Father God, that they would lean on you. Not on their own wisdom, not on the interest groups that, 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 that apply pressure, but Father God, upon you and you alone. O oh Lord, we pray. We pray for the meeting that's coming up following worship. That it would be an edifying time, dear Father. A time in which the unity of the body manifests itself in discussion, even if it's disagreement. That there's godly discussion that takes place. As we seek Your will, dear Father, for this congregation and for that one who desires to come here to serve. Lord, we pray all of this in the wonderful name of our great King. Amen.
as we prepare for coming to the table this morning, I'm going to read from, from two portions of Scripture. First of all, in the book of Exodus, and then in the Gospel account of Matthew. So I would appreciate if you would follow me as we read. It it is our privilege to be reading the very Word of God. It is inspired, it is infallible, and it is inerrant. It is God's holy Word. Therefore, out of respect and reverence for the author of Scripture, please stand for the reading of His Word this morning. The scene is in Egypt. The children of Israel have been kept in bondage. God is about to deliver them. And this is the account that we read, verses 21 through 28. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Then take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. On the day of the Passover... This event is taking place. Jesus is gathered with His disciples in the upper room. And we read verses 26 through 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let us pray. Father, we do pray for great wisdom as we prepare for the supper. May the Scriptures guide and direct us, dear Father, for it's in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
As we begin to look at this, we're going to be looking at the passage in Exodus and then at the passage in, in Matthew. And I want you to think of three things. I want you to think of a lamb. I want you to think of blood. And I want you to think of deliverance. Now, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, and, and within Christendom there is a tremendous variety of ways in which people approach the supper. Some people say uh, once a quarter. Some people say once a month. Some people say every Sunday, which by the way is my preference and would love to preach a sermon about why you need to do that. But that's for another day. Some people don't hardly do it at all. They, they, they don't think of the Lord's Supper as being that important, especially in large churches where from a, from a practical standpoint of trying to administer the supper, uh, it can be very difficult. And so they find themselves not doing it uh, hardly at all. Now, uh, within the context, again, of Christendom, we find this great variety. We also find some that, oh, it's no big deal, to some that it, it is an extremely high deal. Well, within this, I want to talk with, uh, with us this morning about, and hopefully to understand the importance of what we're doing, uh, to talk about what are we doing? What is going on here? Is this a, a once in a month thing that uh, we just kind of look forward to kind of half-heartedly or, 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 or is it valuable? What's the significance of it? Well, to begin with, uh, we find the foundation of the Lord's Supper in the Old Testament. And it's important to understand as we work with the Scriptures, folks, that the Bible begins in Genesis 1.1, not in Matthew 1.1. Okay? And, and therefore, we go back to the Old Testament to find the, the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper, the whole significance of the Lord's Supper. And it's within the framework of God's children being held in bondage in the nation of Egypt. You know the story. God raises up Moses uh, out in the desert. You know how you learn to be a great leader, don't you? He kept sheep. Not a dumber animal out there. Uh, the, the two great leaders in the Old Testament learned leadership by doing what? David and Moses kept sheep. So Moses is raised up. He goes back. We know the story, the miracles that Moses uh, performs the counterfeit miracles that the uh, the Egyptian uh, 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 leaders uh, copy these kind of things, and then it comes to the very end when God tells Moses that he's to go and he's to tell the children of Israel, and we're going to work our way through these things in just a minute, that they're to follow this pattern, and that pattern was that they were to take a lamb and that they were to sacrificed that lamb and they were to prepare the meat in a certain way for a meal and they were told that uh, when you prepare the meal that you eat standing up because you've got to be ready to go. And they were to take that blood and they were to paint on the lintel, which is on the top of the door, right about in the middle, they were to put, the, put a, a spot of blood up there and on both sides of the door frame. And that they were to stay inside that house because that night the Lord was going to pass over. Thus the name of the feast, the Passover. Because every door that did not have the blood on it, the oldest child in that home was going to be struck dead. This was God judging the Egyptians because of the bondage that they had put His children under. Okay? 
And so that as the Lord came over, every home that didn't have that blood was struck. And that's what drove Pharaoh to finally say, get him out of here. I don't want him here anymore. But in this particular paragraph, Moses says, what you do tonight, you're going to do every year. Because this is going to be a part of your worship so that on the Passover feast, when you sit down at that table, the youngest child in the family is going to say, Dad, why are we doing this? And you're going to recount the story. Our nation was in Egypt and we were in bondage. And God demonstrated His power as we, through faith, painted a spot of blood on the lintel up above and spots of blood on the side of the door frame. And as the Lord passed over, He struck every house that did not demonstrate this act of faith with the death of its oldest child. And that's how God saved us out of the bondage of Israel. Excuse me, out of the the bondage of Egypt. Because God showed His power to Pharaoh. And you're to do this, Moses says to the families, every year so that over and over and over again, you will be reminded of the great things that God has done. Why? We'll forget. And that's why the Passover feast was held every year. In Orthodox Jewish traditions, it continues on. And the youngest son always has the responsibility of asking the question, Dad, why do we do this? And Dad recounts the story over and over and over again. They took a lamb. And they took the blood of that lamb and out of faith painted it on the door and God saved them, took them out of their bondage. He delivered them. As we understand a portion of Scripture like this in the Old Testament, from a theological standpoint, this this text is referred to as a type because this text points forward to the person of Jesus Christ. We understand as we look at the Old Testament that you can't be saved by, uh, by, by an animal, by this irrational lamb. This lamb points forward to that great lamb to come. Remember the first time John the Baptist saw Jesus. Now, the role of John the Baptist was to be the forerunner to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Do you remember what he said the first time he saw Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God, which does what? Takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that Paschal Lamb. Of that Lamb whose blood was to be shed for the sins of the people. To do what? To deliver God's people from bondage. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the events that took place here in Exodus, in Exodus 12. 
This foretold of that great event was to come. And now as we turn to Matthew 26, on the night in which that was to happen, Jesus Christ introduces His disciples to the fact that He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because remember, it was just a few years before when Jesus took His disciples to the temple. And you remember that Jesus was offended because what was happening at the temple? It was a house of prayer. And yet there was merchandise buying and selling that was going on. And Jesus was angry. Now the Scripture says, be angry, but do not sin. Let me digress for just a minute. Jesus did not sin, brothers and sisters, because if He'd sinned, we'd be in a big trouble. He was angry, but He did not sin. We call that righteous indignation. He was angry not because of what was being done to Him, but He was angry because of what was being done to His Father. His Father was being offended. And there's a sense in which as Christians, if we don't get angry because of some of the things that we see going on around us, we need to, we need to have a, a self-exam in terms of how much do we love the Lord. You know, Jesus was mad because of his father's house was being offended. And he did not lose his temper either because he took time to make a whip. Uh, when, when I counsel young parents, I tell them, don't you dare put your paddle where you can just grab it and start wailing. Put it where you have to take time to go get it. You know, you, you've heard count to ten before you do something. What's happening? Well, you're not allowing your personal anger to, to drive you, to motivate you. See, Jesus took time to make a whip. Oh, and by the way, I, 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 I tell parents not to use the hand. I, I didn't want my kids, when I raised my hand, to start ducking. I wanted them to see the hand as an extension of love, welcome. They, uh, so if you're in that place, I, I, I would recommend a paddle, but a paddle that you've got to walk to go get. Okay. So Jesus took time to make a whip. And he drove them out of the temple. He drove the cattle out. But you know what he told the folks with the birds? He, even in this anger, he is sensitive to the needs of people. He tells them to pick up the cages and take them out. Now, he was a very imposing figure. You know, young men in that age grew up as apprentices to their fathers. And his earthly father was a what? Was a carpenter. They didn't have these light aluminum hammers and levers and, and all these things that lift heavy stuff for us. He had to do it all himself, so he was a rather imposing figure. So they asked him, what gives you the right to do this? Jesus pointed to the temple and said, in three days, he said, you tear this down and in three days I'll raise it back up. He was talking about his body. Because the temple was a type. It represented a fulfillment to come later. When you look at all the different elements of the temple, when you think of the courtyard, the first thing you see is the altar burnt offering. Who is the sacrifice? For that's where the lamb was sacrificed. Who is the sacrifice for God's people? Jesus. The next thing you see is the laver where the priest would wash his hands, cleansing. Ah, oh, whose blood cleanses us from all sin. You walk into the temple. 
On one side you see the table of showbread, twelve loaves of bread, one for each of the tribes of the nation of Israel, demonstrating God's faithfulness, His faithful provision. Who says, I am the bread of life? On the other side you see the candlestick which gave light to the room. Who said, I am the light of the world? In the back of that room was the altar burnt incense which was kept burning, representing the continual prayers of the priests for the people. Who is that one who intercedes for us at the very right hand of God the Father? Not a human priest who had to offer sacrifices for his own sin, but the very Son of God who lived a perfect life, who is now standing at the very right hand of His Father, our Advocate, representing us, praying for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, there was a heavy veil there that separated the two rooms. And that veil, when Jesus said, it is finished, was torn from top to bottom. Thus the way being open, as we spoke last Sunday, to draw near unto the very presence of our God. You see, all of those things in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, pointed forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of these things in His ministry. So that as Jesus in Matthew 26 is sitting with His disciples and He takes out this bread and He tells them to eat it because this represents His body. His body which was going to be given for them. And He takes the cup and He tells them to drink it because this cup represents the blood of the covenant. His blood, which is going to be shed for their sins. So that when we come to the table, brothers and sisters, we are reminded of that Lamb, that Lamb of God. We're reminded of the blood, the shedding of that blood. And we're reminded of deliverance. Our sins have been taken away as far as the east is from the west. We are no longer under bondage of sin. We've been delivered. Praise God. So when you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, remember that. Also remember, no matter what I say or what I do, Guys, the bread always stays the bread. And the drink always stays the drink. Don't fall into the trap of those traditions that put emphasis upon the elements as far as the presence of Christ is concerned. Also, don't fall into the trap of the over, under, around, and through idea that Jesus is everywhere around the elements because no, The importance is not the element. The importance is what the elements represent. And so in a very real sense, brothers and sisters, the presence of Christ at this feast to which He invited us is the heart of the believer. As we are reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we're able to partake in this feast with joy because of the realization that yes, Jesus did this for me. 
And I'm reminded of that because here again, just like in ancient Judaism, they had to have that feast every year and the youngest son had to ask the question every year, Dad, why do we do this? And Dad would recount the whole story of the lamb and the blood and the deliverance. So that when we come to the table, we too are reminded of the Lamb and the blood and the deliverance that is ours. But nothing changes in the elements, folks. It's bread and it's drink. They represent the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we approach that table, this table to which Jesus has invited us, may we always remember the significance of Christ's death. May we understand the present reality of our being able to share in this feast together. We are able to participate corporately in this feast. And may we always remember the significance of what Christ has done And therefore, as we walk out these doors, be encouraged to live out our faith in such a way that we are the light, that we are the salt. Because it's in the daily affairs of life, our daily walk, that the reality of Jesus is to be seen. And may our lives be lived for Him and Him alone. Let's pray. Father, we do acknowledge that as we come to this table, that we come with the glorious hope that is ours because of Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. Amen.